everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And uh, just a quick announcement here before uh, we get into the sermon. Uh, the uh, small group leaders are meeting for the family ministry out this door, that's my left, and then down the path. It's a different room than you would normally meet in, so if you could plan on that as well. And we are back here uh, at Lawndale next week, so if you can make plans for that as well. So if you could turn over to Luke chapter 12, um, you know, we're doing a series today. Uh, today is part two, and uh, it's called Some Things Never Change. And, you know, we uh, as, as a group of ministers decided that we wanted to help the church over the holiday season uh, manage their money better, including ourselves. And, uh, you know, I remember taking a class, a senior level course in college marketing re called Retail Management, and I learned that most companies make the majority of their revenue from, it used to be Black Friday, but now it's like pre-Black Friday, pre Halloween Black Friday, you know, I mean, it's just keep moving. But most companies make most of the revenue, the majority of it, between Thanksgiving and January 2, those six weeks. And I thought, well, who's spending all that money? We are. And so we decided, hey, it would be great for the church to do a series on uh, money management, materialism, uh, being faithful about the money that God's given us over that time of the year, not so that you can give more money to the church, so that you can manage your money better for your life and the way God wants you to. You know, uh, how many people think about money at least once a day? Be honest, you might just look at the, uh, you know, um, at a restaurant and go, man, that, that price went up once a day, really, that few of you? So a lot of people don't think about it every day? I mean, come on, there's no way, whether you're buying something, needing to buy something, you get a bill in the mail, it crosses our mind way more than one time a day. And, uh, you know, you think about this, that we spend 45 to 50 years of our young adult to the end of our lives working, uh, almost 100,000 hours making money. You go, well, where is it all? Well, that's, oh, that's what we're talking about this uh, today. So the title of today's lesson is You Only Live Once. You know, the, uh, what we talked about with the, with the different ministers is the whole idea of looking at money from the uh, wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Brian talked about Ecclesiastes uh, last week. I'm going to talk about some of the Proverbs this week. And it, we're gonna, it's cool because we're going to look at it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, what Jesus had to say, and then evaluate what it means to us today because we all struggle with money. How many saw the movie Jerry Maguire back in the day? What's the famous saying? Well, let's just say it together. Ready? Show me the money. And for those of you that uh, never saw it because you're just too young, uh, Jerry Maguire was a sports agent. Cuba, Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. was a, one, you know, a football player that was doing so-so, and uh, he wanted, uh, Jerry Maguire wanted to take him on, you know, to be his agent, and uh, that was the famous saying, come on, Jerry, show me the money. So right here, there's, I'm showing you the money from Jesus' day. Uh, there is uh, Pont the coins that were used during Pontius Pilate's day, Herod Agrippa's day, 4 B.C. to 6 B.C., and then... Uh, there's one other one, the Sanhedrin coins right there. And I just thought, you know, how interesting that some things never change. Back then, people wanted money. 
Back then, people wanted to figure out, how can I do the least amount of work to make the most amount of money and to give the least amount of taxes? People struggled back then with saving. They struggled back then with uh, greed. They struggled back then with giving both to God and to their families. They struggled back then with trusting in God versus trusting in, in the uh, ancient bling right there. But there's no difference. Some things never change. It's the same human condition and us here in the 21st century needing to learn how to manage money the best that we can. Okay, before we get into our, our, our three verses there in Luke 12, in Luke 16, many of us know the story. For those of you who don't, it's one of the most oddest stories in the Bible. There's a guy uh, who worked, uh, he was a manager, and he was shady, putting it in, putting it in modern terms. He was shady. He was um, not managing well. There was a ton of waste. He was probably not working on the job, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, the word got back to the manager. So if you're shady on your job, the word will always get back to the manager. It got back to the manager. The manager is going to fire him. He finds out he's going to get fired. And so he goes and he makes a deal with all of his vendors under the table. They don't know what's going on, but he goes to them and says, hey, you owe me 1000 Let's make it 200 Goes to the next guy, you owe me 800 How about 600 And all the people are like, well, sure. Why? I'm just a nice guy. What do you say? And his hope was, after he lost his job, he could get a job from some of these guys that he just connected. It's a very weird story. And then Jesus jumps into the story, and he says, in Luke 16, after the parable, he says, the master, the manager, the guy that owned everything, commended the dishonest manager. I would say he probably did it with a chuckle. Because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And I want you just to think about that for a second. Jesus uses this odd story to commend a dishonest person, not for their dishonesty, because that's sin, but he commended them for their shrewdness. He commended the fact that this, uh, this employee understood the power of money, the influence of money the control of money, and how money works. Now, he used it in a shady way for his own gain, but he commended the fact that he understood how money worked. And then he translated it to us today. And he says, the people in the world that don't worship God, they understand the leveraging power of money more than the people of the light. So I don't know about you, but I, as hopefully you know, you're the people of the light, that makes me think a little bit. Jesus is lifting up people in the world more than the people of the light? Well, he's trying to help them realize that they don't realize what they can do with their money. I looked up the word shrewd. I kind of knew what it meant, but it's better when it, to get the actual definition. It means having a keen awareness. You're sh there's a sharp awareness of, of uh, what you do with your money, what money can do. There, it also means a sharp intelligence. And then finally a sense of the practical. You know, most of the world uses money for this. What can I gain for me and mine? How can I get as much as I can, and then what can I use with it to gain for me and mine? We're a follower of Jesus. He looks at his money. She looks at their money. And, and this is hard to do. Let's just be honest. 
and they say it's all whose? God's. And so who's saying, show me the money? God. And it's all his. And we're just stewards. And steward means house manager. You don't own it. You just work for the guy. And, you know, we hear that, but it's hard to translate that and put that together. And it goes beyond us giving to the church. It's looking at all of our money, all of our possessions as God. And so a follower of Jesus who's a steward says, not what can I gain for me and mine, but what can I gain for my master and what can I do with my money that would gain, benefit others? Doesn't mean they don't take care of their family first, but it, they, it goes beyond that. It, they look at it as how can I help others and how can I bring glory to my master? How can I use my money for love like we did today with the International Day of Giving? How can I use my love with my, how can I use my money to show love with spiritual causes? You know, there was a guy uh, some time ago, a New York millionaire, and he's in his penthouse, and he's sitting there, and he's on his deathbed, and, you know, he's, he's within hours of death, and he's in this beautiful apartment, and he's overlooking, you know, Central Park, and he's, had so, he's got so much money and so much power, and he looks outside the window as he's on this oxygen, and he's got his caregiver right there, the nurse, and he, and he says in a, in a raspy voice, he says, you see that street sweeper out there below us? I would give every penny of my fortune right now if I could change places with that man, if I could get my health back again. He said, I have worked hard during my whole life, and I've saved almost every dollar I could. And now it's so hard for me to think that I've got to die and I have to leave it all behind. You know, it's very similar to the story in Luke 12 about the, about the parable of the rich fool. The guy just building, building, building for himself, but not rich toward God. You know, if this man had made a wise and loving use of his money to bless the world during his lifetime, he would not be lamenting at his death. He would not be saying how hard it is to think I have to leave it all behind. You know, I, I read, I didn't read, I listened to Walter Isaacson, the biography of Stephen Jobs. It was a very long book in print and it was a very long listen and I listened to it all and right at the end you know Stephen Jobs wasn't a Christian according to he was kind of eastern kind of God zen something a little bit of everything whatever but his his final words he said before he died you can still read the book there's a lot of good stuff in it he said there's got to be something more these were his, some of his final words because all this knowledge I have, as I pass, it's gone. Not that he hasn't passed it on with this, the, you know, Apple University and all the inventions and all that, but all my experience, all I, it's gone. And I think even though he wasn't talking about money, he was realizing that all of my life, everything that I stand for, all that I have gained, I can't take it with me, even in this whole concept of knowledge. Luke 12, verse 42, if you could turn there, we're going to read these three verses. And I have one point today, make your money count. You know, for those of us that are parents, we've got spenders amongst our kids, and we've got savers. We've got kids that won't spend a penny. They still have money from their 10th birthday, and a portion, and their ledger, $11, you know, 
10 years later. And then we have some that haven't saved a penny and it goes from here to here to here to here all the time. Different, different personality types, different temperaments. Um, but all of us at some point have to count our money, right? If you're going to pay the rent or the mortgage, you got to figure out, can I pay it? If you're going to buy a car, you got to go, can I afford it? The monthly payment. If you're going to do this or do that or go on vacation, you got to say, what is my limits? Everybody has to count money. A lot of people go, I don't really care about money at all. Well, not until you have to count it. And then when there's less than you think, you suddenly care. Or, honey, did you spend that? Oh, no, I don't know what happened. What happened? You know, I mean, we care. But I want us to look at that beyond that. Make our money count in this life. Let's go beyond rent. Let's go beyond just paying the bills or buying things. How does God want us to use our money? Luke 12, verse 42, the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. You know, our, our series these four weeks are going to be going through the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12, just the whole chapter, and then going back and forth between the wisdom literature. And it's interesting because in Luke 12, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he challenges them as a one on, you know, in the smaller group. Then he challenges the crowd. He talks about hypocrisy. He talks about being covetousness in the parable of the rich fool. He talks about worldly anxiety, which comes with money, and watchfulness, meaning I'm not living for this world, and so I need to make sure I'm preparing for the next. And he talks about the parable of the waiting servants and the wise steward that we're reading today. And then he closes out with the cross. So it's interesting that he talks so much about money, possessions, preparation, then the cross. And I think for us, we got to ask ourselves, either we are a faithful and wise manager, or we are faithless or unfaithful and a foolish manager. There's not any in between. Now, I'm sure it's sometimes we're more one than the other, but I want to be a faithful and wise manager. And that's kind of what our series is about. How can we help each other during this season not go into a lot of debt? How can we help each other <clears throat> not create unnecessary anxiety and worry during this time? How can we use our money to make it count the way God would have us? The faithful steward, the wise one, someone that's managing somebody else's things. And so we're going to talk today here about a few different things. We're going to talk about discipline, integrity, and habits. Now, some of you think when I brought up the topic money, you yawned inside. Not outside, but inside you're like, wow, i got to sit through this one. I think I'll keep your attention for just a teens, okay? And, um, and if you're young and you say, I don't have any money, so you're just texting away right now, your friend in high school, first of all, God knows. Um, second of all, um, your habits now will determine the quality of your life. The, the, and I've told many people this, habits are usually not in the big decisions. Habits are in the little decisions day in, day out, day in, day out. And we all have bad habits. But it's the little decisions like building the wall of a building or a brick building. It's one brick and another brick and one brick and another brick. Nothing fancy, nothing dramatic, 
but it's your habits. And so the habits you build now will determine the quality of your marriage, your family, your life, as it relates to money, because money is one of the largest stressors that we all deal with. So we're going to have some questions here for you that I think will make you think. We're going to talk about discipline, first of all. One, are you wasting your money or are you leveraging your money? You say, what's leverage? I don't even know what that word means. Well, all of us have seen a car being jacked up. You know, you jack it up to take off the tire. Leveraging is like with hope, what we just gave to. You give them a dollar. It's Dave Blanco in the crowd. What's the leverage ratio today, Dave? What is it? Ten to one. So if we give hope a dollar of unrestricted funds, saying, here's a dollar, go make some money with it. Go get some grants. Get some donations. Get some companies to donate. Get help. Leverage the projects. Our dollar, they turn it into $10. It's pretty amazing. That's leveraging. Or when you invest and it goes well, you put in this, and then it's, you leave it there, and then it grows and you leveraged it. So are you wasting your money, or are you leveraging your money? Integrity. Are you tricky about your money? No one knows where it's going, or maybe you're kind of cutting corners not super honest with it, maybe holding back from the Lord, maybe holding back honesty with your spouse about the spending, I don't know. Or are you trustworthy with your money? How about your habits? Are you a spender? We all have to spend, but I mean, are you a spender? Check the shoe closet. That will always tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I was a total joke. Every good woman has a good, good sets of shoes. You've got to be prepared. Are you a spender or are you a spreader? Do you want to spread your money around? Wasting or leveraging. So let's talk about uh, Proverbs 25, 18. This is a great visual. I love the Proverbs. Okay, teens, you ready? A proverb is like a fortune cookie, except the fortune cookies are fake. I've always wanted to put in a fortune cookie, like a fake saying, like you will break your leg within two hours or something, and just look across the table and see what somebody would say as they crack it open. Um, but a, uh, a proverb is like the fortune cookie, or the, the, the uh, fancy word is axiom. It's like a one-sentence truth. And the Bible is full of Proverbs, but society across the world, every culture has Proverbs. The Chinese have Proverbs, the Italians have Proverbs, uh, Middle Eastern people have Proverbs. I mean, everybody has these little sayings, these little uh, strong sayings in one sentence that make you think. And so I love that about the Proverbs because you can learn something that sticks with you for life. That's not super deep to think about, but it's deep in a sense. Proverbs 25, 18 says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a person, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now you could apply this to any area of your life. Time management, you could apply it to your purity, you could apply it to how you take care of your physical body, your yard, how you are in your job, who you are, how you are with your spouse. You can apply it to every area of life. But let's just look at it from the standpoint of money today. A wall, you know, our country has some pretty good walls. It's called the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. Right? Protects our country in a lot of ways. And then we have friendly neighbors on the north and called Canada and Mexico on the south. We have some good walls. We don't have literal walls, though we put up a few since 9-11. <clears throat> but back in the day, in ancient times, the city wall was everything. 
you don't let it get breached, you make sure it's strong, it's always guarded, you close it up at night, it's the last line of defense. And it's the same thing in our personal lives, and it's the same thing with money. God wants us to have boundaries called self-control. We talked about it, for whatever reason, I got the sermon on money the last time I preached, and I got it again, so there you go. I don't know if it's for me or you or both, probably both. But God wants us to have these boundaries around us for protection. So we're not working too much, or we're not worrying too much, or we're not distracted too much. Whatever it is, he doesn't want us to pierce ourselves, as 1 Timothy 6 says, with many griefs as we run after money. Even there's a passage that says in the Proverbs, do not wear yourself out getting rich. Have the wisdom in showing restraints. Because you can go make a lot of money, but the cost is high. There's another proverb that says, I'm just off the top of my head, so it says, you know, wealth is like the wings of an eagle. There it was, you know, it's cast a glance at it, and it's gone. Ever felt that? Anybody ever made an investment that you went, this is a great idea? Later to go, that was a terrible idea. It just grabbed wings and it, fl it flew in the wrong direction. You know what I'm saying? Now, there's many proverbs like that. But, but this one, the whole idea of self-control, being disciplined, wasting or leveraging your money. You know, the Luke 19, verse 13, there's a story in Luke, and I, I wonder why Luke spoke so much about money and possessions. Maybe it was his worldview as a physician and his friends and what he saw happen to many people that he loved or worked with. But he talks so much about money and possessions and the management of it. And so he gives this story. This, this story isn't just in Luke. It's in the other Gospels, too. But it says, the story is, again, it's a parable. It's not true. Uh, a master leaves. He gives each of his servants a certain amount of money according to their ability. And he says, go manage it. Multiply it. See what you can do with it. How many people know this story? This one's called Minas. The other one, it's Talents. Most of us know the story. But the whole point of it is, show me the money in a little while. And when he got back... They said, he's coming. And what's the first thing he asked? Show me the money. And the whole premise of the scripture is, I'm giving you something that's mine. I'm entrusting you. It's not yours, but I'm giving it to you. Now, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? And I will call you to account for it. And I trust in you. And I see good in you. And I think you can do it. And, you know, we all crave that statement, Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's comparing it not just to money, but our lives. That we're using our lives in such a way that when we see God face to face, the show me the money translated in, in biblical terms is, well done, good and faithful servant. You did a great job. And that's how God wants us here in this passage. He says, so he called the ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. And he said, put this money to work until I come back. Putting our money to work. You say, money is working me. Yes, but he's saying, take the money and put it to work. You know, I found this story about this woman that just passed away in 1999. You may have heard of her. She was all over the television. Her name is Osceola, Osceola McCarty. She was born in 1908. She died in 1999. She was 91 years old. And she was a very obscure woman in the Deep South, Never finished her education past the sixth grade. Did laundry for a living of other people's. Didn't make very much money. 
And when she was 86 years old, she went to the banker, as she always did, and the banker said, what do you want to do with this money before you die? And what's interesting is she had dropped out of school in the sixth grade to help care for an ailing family member and to help her mother with the laundry. After that time, she began to do laundry for the business people in the town of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, for 50 cents a load, which amounted to one week of laundry. That's not a lot of money, but OCLO was thrifty, ready for this, and content. What was she? Thrifty and? She wasn't just thrifty, because you can be thrifty and greedy as the day is long. It's called a financial hoarder. So she was thrifty and content. And even though it wasn't a lot of money, after she paid her bills each week, she would go to the bank, walk to the bank, and deposit what was left over each week into a savings account. Year after year, she lived, I love this, a quiet life of integrity. She cared for her grandmother, her aunt, and her mother. Interesting. What does that tell you about her character? She quit the school, school at the sixth grade to care for an ailing relative. Then she helped another ailing relative. And then later in life, she was helping this person and this person and this person. Um, she traveled outside of Mississippi only once in her lifetime. She had never had an education. I already shared that. She read her Bible every day, kneeled each night to pray to God, regularly attended church, and she worked and saved. And as she sat down with that banker that day, and he says, Ocella, we know you're getting old. What are you going to do with all this money you have left? She goes, I don't know. How much do I even have? She had no idea how much was in there. She just kept doing her habit. She had a quarter of a million dollars that she had saved from doing the laundry and just living very frugally, thrifty and content. And Ocella figured, I've lived simply in the past. Why would I change now? So I, she says, here's what I want to do. I want to donate uh, some of my money to help African Americans get what I never got, an education. And so in the summer of 95, she discreetly and quietly gave 150000 of that quarter million to a scholarship fund at the University of Southern Mississippi, asking specifically, I don't want a brick named in my honor. Just, I want to give it how I live. Well, word got out somehow, and soon she had great prominence and more than if every university had named every building on campus after. She was on Barbara Walters, Good Morning America. She was on all the major news network, numerous honors, trip to the White House for the Presidential Citizenship Award. She swung through Harvard for her honorary doctorate of humane letters. Uh, her story was on the front page of the New York Times, Ebony, Jet, People, Guidepost, Christian, uh, Reader, and Glamour Magazine. She traveled from one end of the country to another to be honored in those five years before she died. Why? What was so inspiring about her? Look what she says. I can't do everything, but I can do something to help somebody. And what I can do, I will do. You know, there's a lot of us that have limited incomes. And so we say, I'm too poor to do anything. Well, I remember being a young Christian and hearing stories of our brothers and sisters in the Philippines that had two shirts and would sell one of them for 50 cents, and took the bus to work every day, or the, not the bus, the um, jeepneys, which is like an exhaust machine. You just like, might as well put your mouth over the exhaust pipe. There's so much exhaust coming into the little, where everyone's squished in this like little jeep with seats on it. And they'd say, I don't really have any money. I don't really have any resources. I don't even make a lot of money. So they'd sell one of their two shirts, and just wear the same one every day. 
And then they, rather than taking the jeepney, they just walked for hours to save the other quarter. I mean, God looks at what we do with what we have and how we spend what we have and how we leverage what we have versus wasting it. So many of us and so much of our society has wasted so much money. Think about how much money you and I and society have wasted at the bars. Getting really quiet now. On food, eating out, on drugs, on stuff that you later went, who bought this? As you're hauling it to give to MVETs or something. We need to leverage what God's given us to help others. Ocelia McCarty proved that greatness is not measured by our birth, our wealth, our fame, but by character. We all have the resources to be great in God's kingdom if we'll give ourselves away. Okay, Proverbs 11.3, it says the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. How are you with your integrity with money? Are you tricky with your money? Or are you trustworthy? Luke 16, 11, verse 12, and 12 says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Jesus says, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, remember we're managers, we're stewards, it's his property, it's his life, who will give you property of your own? It's a, it's a principle. <coughs> How about it? Are you cheating on your taxes? Even a little bit. Well, you know, are you punching in at work and then still at work, but you're punched out in your head. You're just, you know, back to the water station, back to the coffee station, back to the pencil station. Back. You know, you're there, but you're wasting hours because you can. Stealing. Whatever. I mean, I, I don't know your world or your life, but are you tricky with money? Do you give to the Lord first? Or after you pay Uncle Sam. I was trained as a young Christian. I grew up in a very old church that's been around a long time. Family of 10, I saw $2 go in the plate. And I thought, that's, a, that's how you do it. That's showing the money. And so when I heard about the concept of a tithe, I almost died at 19 years old. I mean, seriously, I went, and I had a really good job in college. I was making $500 a week in the 80s. I didn't even, I had more money than I could spend. And I literally thought, $50? That's like 25 weeks of my parents, you know, like, that's like half a year. And so I was discreetly giving 25, not, I hadn't been taught about the tithe. And so Jeff, the guy that studies, so, Marco, let's teach you about the tithe. You give a tenth of your gross income before God. I go, what's gross? He goes, before you pay Uncle Sam. Why would you do that? Because he takes his, God takes his first. I, so he says, how much are you giving? I said, I don't want to say. No, no, it's okay. No, it's, it's a lot. And I, I was serious. I, could, you know, I was like, I thought I was, you know, I was rolling. Like I was one of the biggest givers in the church there as a college student. How much you get? I, I really, Jeff, it's very personal. It's between me and the Lord. It's a lot. And he had the little chart showing if I made this much, this is what a tithe would be. And he's like, so you're giving 5%. Like, What? Yeah, nickel for every dollar God gives you. And I mean, I, and from then on, I realized, okay, and I gave way more than a tithe until I went in the ministry. Then we had to notch things down a little bit. But it was a great lesson for me that I've never strayed from, and God's always blessed. Don't be tricky with your giving. 
Really? God knows. It's a trust issue. It's not a financial issue. Be trustworthy with what God's given you. Don't be duplicitous. Don't call yourself a follower of Jesus and then not do what he would do in this area. Put him first. Trust in him. And, and it's not just your giving. How do you view money? How many of us have been given money and then you go, it's been over and you go, I got to give this back, but I don't want to. You know, I found uh, $100 on the, I found all kinds of things on the road, riding my bike, all kinds of things. I'm not going to go there. But anyway, I brought home all kinds of cool stuff. Um, I found $100 and I, uh, I stopped my bike rather fast because it was a wad, you know. It's never happened. It's a good day today. Counted it out. Okay, got to do what's right. Doesn't seem like anybody's around. I saw a guy over there working. You know, I said, hey, do you, you lose anything? He's like, nope. Waited about another 30 seconds. And then, you know, went back after I went and picked up the kids. And sure enough, there was somebody looking for something. Did you lose anything? He's like, yeah. I said, what? Money. How much? $100. What denominations? Serial number is at least the first one. No, I didn't say that. But, but we got to be trustworthy, not duplicitous. We need to have integrity. You know, everybody know her? Our favorite. She's a little loud for me, but, but anyway. Susie, you know, she's the financial guru. You listen to Susie, and you are guaranteed to have the high life. But, you know, when she was 13 years old, her dad owned a restaurant that sold chicken, you know, fried chicken. And when she was 13 years old, something was indelibly burned on her mind, pun intended. The, her dad's restaurant went on fire, and everybody got out, and dad ran back in to get the register. And while dad was in there, he's grabbing and pushing and punching the buttons, trying to get the drawer, you know those old-fashioned ones that made all those noise, trying to get the drawer open so he could take out the money. And he couldn't get it out. And this time, by this time, the fire is burning. And so he grabs the whole register. And for those of us that are old enough, you remember how heavy and big those things were? Ching, ching, you know. He grabs it and he carries the whole thing out and he burns all the skin off both of his arms. And she said this in her biography. That's when I learned, Orman says, that money is obviously more important than life itself. Is it really? Should we burn ourselves, take skin off our arms by just being tricky with money just to get a little extra? Or be trustworthy with what God has given us? You know, finally, um, Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25 says this, One man gives freely and gains even more, yet another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, but he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Are you a spender? Or do you want to spread it around? We all have to spend. But is it only, do we only get excited to spend on just ourselves? And you can be a hoarder and a spender. You're just hoarding for that spending day that will never come. Do you know what I mean? Or are you looking at your money as, I want to manage it so well because I want to spread it around 
Luke 15, 13, we know the famous story of the prodigal son. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Yeah, you may not be going out and seeing prostitutes and drinking, getting drunk all the time, but the principle's the same. Squandering reckless living. When you get a ticket for reckless driving, it's because you're driving in a way that could hurt somebody. You're driving too fast, too weaving, to something, it's not safe, it's reckless, it's not thought through, it's not considerate of the people around you, it's dangerous. And if we're not careful in our spending, we can be put in that same category. No, it may not look the same. We may not be on our knees in a pig pen, we not, may not be drinking and getting wild, but we can accumulate so much debt and so much anxiety and so much stress because we want something or we're spending on ourselves, that God would call it a squandering of his property, and he would call it wild and reckless living. Did you ever notice when you really want something, you find the money to get it? Now you go, well, I want a Beamer and it's not happened. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things within reach, or just beyond reach. If you really want something, we find a way. And we've, God wants us to be generous people, to spread it around. You know, my mom and dad uh, were incredibly frugal, and my mom came here at 47, didn't know the language, didn't have a place to live in a very short time, had to go back in an orphanage, didn't know the culture. All she wanted was a doll at 14, because she never had one from 5 to 14. Um, and was frugal, like, I mean, we, I remember as a kid, $50 of groceries for 10 people. And she'd go from grocery store to grocery store to grocery store every day. You know, I was like, Mom, why don't you just stay with one? She goes, you got to get the deals. You got to make the money last. And I remember my dad flipping over 50. Like, how much did you spend? You know, it was 50, five, you know. But you know, she never stopped living that way. And now she's 80. She still goes to the multiple grocery stores, but to buy stuff for other people. And my brother Vince, who's my oldest, said, and she has a lot of money, not wealthy, but a lot of money for her. He says, Mom, don't wait till you're dead to just give it to all of us. Give it to all the grandkids. Spread it around. Spend it on them to benefit their lives. And my kids have benefited a lot with a lot of help for summer programs and things because choices she made then are affecting the way she's able to bless the church, bless people. My mom was a geriatric nurse after the youngest was 10 and worked for 24 years uh, as, a, as an RN. And to this day, you know what she does? She takes care of elderly people all in the neighborhood as an elderly person. She goes, Marco, it's my ministry. I, I feel like I loved working with old people. It was like they were my children. I want to give. I just, I love it. I love helping. So she's driving them to their doctor's appointments. She's picking up drumsticks for them, you know, turkey drumsticks. And she's sewing their stuff, bringing them plants. It's such a great upward call for me. We've got to be spreaders, not spenders. You know, let me just close here. This is uh, the wealth, richest home in the world. It's in Mumbai, India, which used to be called Bombay. One of the poorest cities in the world is, one of, is the richest home in the world. One over one billion dollars. 600 servants work to keep that house running. Crazy. Well, I would never buy a house that big. I'd be more self-controlled. I understand, but still. Spender or spreader. Let me just close with these practicals. Here we go. Brian showed this last week quickly. I'll show you again. We have the gospel of prosperity right here. Possessions are a right. If you follow God, he's going to hook you up. Right? 
I work to become rich. Godly people are wealthy. God's blessed them. Ungodly people are poor. I give to get something. And my spending is carefree and consumptive. The gospel of poverty. Possessions are evil. Why do you have a car? Even closed-toed shoes. Jesus wore sandals. You know what I'm saying like this? You should have a car from the 80s, not the 90s. I work to meet only basic needs. Godly people are poor. Look at the apostles. Ungodly people are wealthy. I give because I must. And my spending is without gratitude to God. But stewardship, the true gospel, not the prosperity, not the poverty, but true stewardship, the true gospel about money. Possessions are a responsibility. I work to serve Christ. Godly people are faithful people. Ungodly people are unfaithful people. I give because I love God. Times are good, times are bad. I want to, don't want to, I love God. And my spending is prayerful and responsible. Let's be people that use our worldly wealth to gain friends so when it's gone, Jesus says, we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We only live once. That's a saying that means take risks. Buy it, do it, travel there, go for it. If you're a younger person, it usually means drink it, smoke it, do it, take it. Just go for it, YOLO. It's an old saying, by the way. But you only live once, so just be wild. God says you only live once, so make your money count. Amen?